Hey friends, it's Julia, and this is Pop Culture Makes Me Jealous, and on today's show, the co-hosts of My Screen Time 2 are here, and we are talking Sister Act. Sister Act was first released on May 29th, 1992, and stars Whoopi Goldberg, who plays Dolores Van Cartier, a Reno lounge singer who witnesses the mobster boyfriend, Vince, played by Harvey Keitel, commit murder. She panics and flees to the police station where they decide to relocate her to a convent in San Francisco, where she disrupts the quiet lives of the nunnery. She is then assigned to the choir, who is in dire need of a revamp. With her musical background, Dolores whips these sisters into a musty event during church service. In 1992, Roger Ebert's review of the film offered no praise, stating the trailer has high energy and whammo punchlines. The movie is sort of low-key and contemplative and a little too thoughtful. The Hollywood Reporter, however, offered this. It's a high-concept idea plugged into a formulaic execution, but the formula has often proved to be tried and true and doesn't fail here. The Whoopi Goldberg crowd will just eat it up and sister act may make converts out of the rest of the public the film's heavenly expectations and the box office should be filled with hallelujah before we dive into the discussion i want to introduce you to my guests deborah and katie co-host the podcast it's my screen time too where they review tv and movies made for kids their show is funny and relatable because i mean come on any parent with children knows how they've been sucked in to that vortex of kids tv and their podcast makes you feel less alone about hating or loving the entertainment made for children. Deborah, Katie, welcome to the show. Thank Thanks. you. So happy to be here. We're excited. Okay, so let's dive in. I want to start with the overall of the film. I actually rewatched it last night to prepare for this. In 1992, Dolores Barclay wrote in the article for Tulsa World, Sister Act is outrageous fun and delicious deviltry. The laughs keep coming, but Best of all, there's much humanity at work. It's a movie that just, pardon me, makes you feel darn good. In the article I referenced earlier about Roger from Roger Ebert, he went on to say the director, Emil Ardolino, does not have a touch for comedy and his pacing is consistently too languid for his material. He has no visual style at all. Every shot is the obvious textbook approach to such a degree that the film seems directed on autopilot. But at least Goldberg and her fellow nuns are able to create life and humor when the camera is upon them. So let's start there. Do you agree with either of these statements? Katie, Deborah, do you want to kick us off? I mean, do we slash should we expect a tour level filmmaking in a early 90s children's movie? No, not at all. <laughs> so I'm re-watching this film last night. I grew up watching this film and I'm looking at it and the opening scene, I'm thinking, yeah, no wonder this is a movie that I watched at my grandparents' house and not my parents' house. Cause my parents would have been like, mm, shut this down, Reno, lounge singers, no. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I loved this movie when I was a kid and I haven't watched it since I was a kid and I loved it re-watching it this week and I don't know do you think Roger Ebert didn't like it because it has an all-female cast pretty much I Ooh, love that thing yeah that's a good point because it really is star stacked with female and you know women we were talking about this the other night at dinner women in comics don't get the credit they deserve even now yeah and I just read an article where 
the movie Nine to Five was used as, as an example, and it was just panned by, I think, Roger Ebert, because it was all women, and it was like anti-patriarchy, and so that made me link the two. I don't know. Is Roger Ebert a closet misogynist, and we didn't know it? (laughs) I know. It makes me want to do like a deep dive. Yeah, because he was the gold standard. Did you guys ever watch Siskel and Ebert when they had their little review show and Yes. (laughs) I watched that all the time. It was all about the thumbs. Yes, two thumbs up. I give it a thumb up. I give it a thumb down. (laughs) When they disagreed, it was like, what's going on? I think Whoopi Goldberg is hilarious in this film. And as an adult, so you you guys know I'm based in California. So Reno's not that far from where I am. It's like a three-hour drive. And so Mm -hmm. to think about her, to think, people love going to Reno. They love to vacation Reno. There's a lot of gambling. I actually think you can still smoke inside in, in, in Reno. I could be mistaken, but I think that was still (laughs) a thing like within the last five years. So as an adult, the idea of like a Reno lounge singer (laughs) is just hilarious to me because then you grow up and you realize like, Oh, Las Vegas is like where it's at. Right. Like you've made it. If you're a showgirl in Las Vegas, like Johnny Cash did a residency. Britney Spears did a residency. Like there's all these big names through Vegas. And then Reno is like their like rejected sister. Oh, <laughs> I know it feels so quaint, doesn't it? Like this, this like small town mobster and this small town lounge singer. It just, I don't know. It feels a little parochial in that way. <laughs> yeah. I do love how this is just a personal preference. It is a pet peeve of mine when they movies go to San Francisco and they only show the Golden Gate Bridge because realistically coming from the angles that are usually discussed in whatever film or movie here or TV show here, Golden Gate Bridge isn't accessible. It's mm-hmm. like a whole big workaround because it takes you into Marin County and it's north of San Francisco. So the shot when they show the Bay Bridge, which is links Oakland to San Francisco, like the mainland to San Francisco, I was like, I forgot they did that. Sister Act, yes, give us the Bay Bridge. (laughs) (laughs) Just a nice moment of realism. (laughs) Truly, because, you know, when you're not in California, people assume the Golden Gate Bridge is how you can get from mainland to to the little island or whatever, and it's not. I mean, it is, If like I said, it is if you're coming from Northern California, from like Marin County, but it is completely unrealistic to go from where I live to take the Golden Gate Bridge. It's like an extra hour and a half drive. Nobody wants that. <laughs> so we can't discuss this movie without discussing the cast. As we mentioned, Whoopi Goldberg's in it, who's still a huge name. Harvey Keitel, he's in the film, but some other big names that we can talk about. Maggie Smith plays Mother Superior. Kathy Ninjami plays sister Mary Patrick, who I just find her so delightful. And Mary Wicks plays sister Lazarus. But there are other recognizable faces throughout the entire movie. Later on in that Hollywood Reporter article, they made this statement about Maggie Smith. And I think I agree. Apparently, there is no role that Maggie Smith can't play to perfection. She does so much with so little effort that we can't help but smile in admiration every joyous moment she's on screen. So let's start there. And then just to kind of like refresh everybody, Maggie Smith is coming off of Hook starring Robin Williams because that released the year before in 1991 and she's played the grown-up aged Wendy. 
So considering the cast and the characters they play, let's talk about our favorites and why. Whoopi Goldberg is just, she was a childhood favorite of mine. I mean, mostly the Sister Act movies, but also Ghost. Remember that movie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ghost is great. I first, I actually hadn't seen it before. And then last year in the pandemic, I was like, I need new movies. And my friend was like, you feel like crying? I'm like, yeah, I feel like crying. She's like, watch Ghost. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And then my brother and I were just kind of obsessed with like the audacity of naming yourself Whoopi and going yeah. that as your stage name when we were kids. <laughs> So and funny. she does her own singing, even yeah. though she's not like, I don't think she came to the movie as a vocalist necessarily. Yeah, I don't so, think so either. She's just so talented. Love her so much. I love that she carries it off on panache alone. Like it doesn't matter what her singing voice sounds like. Right. Yeah. Okay, so Deborah, you know... <laughs> But Julia, maybe you don't. I'm kind of low-key obsessed with comparing my current age to whatever age Tom Hanks was when he made certain iconic movies. I love that. (laughs) It's like how I judge my life progression. Yeah. Uh, But here's a fun fact about Maggie Smith. She was only 58 years old when she made this movie. Like the poor woman has been playing the old lady for so long even before she was old that's That's really interesting that is really interesting and that's funny that you bring that up because I remember in an interview Meryl Streep had commented when she was doing press for Into the Woods everyone's like oh you're playing this witch blah blah and she's like yeah I wasn't gonna play a witch until I was in my 60s like I've been getting calls for playing witches or old ladies for years and I wasn't going to do that until I was in my 60s so now to think about like Maggie Smith playing Wendy in Peter Peter Pan yeah Peter Pan hook and she's such an old old lady in that movie she's supposed supposed to be all infirm and we're supposed to be thinking she's gonna croak any minute she was 57 years old (laughs) (laughs) how cruel come on Hollywood do better I know right (laughs) I mean props to her for making a career out of it like she stared into the skid and it's been really successful for how many years now? 30 years? Yeah, I love her as Violet Crawley on Downton Abbey. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I can't wait to be that old granny. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Say whatever I want and everyone's going to accept it because I'm old and crotchety and slightly funny. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer Lewis, I don't know if you all watch Blackish or are familiar with the show. She plays Ruby Johnson on the show. I forgot that she was one of the the showgirls in the opening scene with Whoopi. Oh, yeah. I'm like, Jennifer Lewis, do you not age? Because you look exactly the same in this movie is almost 30 years old. (laughs) Yeah. Can we talk a bit about the costumes? Absolutely. Let's go there. Delightful colorful shiny bedazzled <laughs> like that like they were wearing their street clothes yeah in that backstage scene and they looked so fabulous the scene where um that part of the scene where he, he delivers that purple mink to her <laughs> I was like <laughs> I was like oh yeah I forgot and I'm thinking because I love Lucy that was the thing right every time she wanted mink he she and Ricky would get in a huge argument about it and then she'd get a mink coat and it was just fabulous and beautiful and then then 
Dolores Van Cartier. It's this purple mink jacket. And she they're <laughs> cooing over. It's gorgeous. It's fabulous. And I'm like, but is it though? Because I feel like the fur coat you had on was much better. Right. <laughs> Agreed. <Yeah. laughs> and the gold lame jacket that she had when they take her to the convent. I was like, that's dry. She's like, that's dry clean only, please. Or can you get that dry clean? Girl. <laughs> Mm. <laughs> but I love that um, when they go out into the community finally and you see all of like the kids wearing, I felt like, wait, this is exactly what high school kids or not exactly, but it feels like this is what high school kids are wearing now again. <laughs> yeah, that 90s street street style. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This movie is so bizarrely out of time because you have these 90s fashions that are so clearly of the 90s but then the whole crux of the movie is about the inherent appeal of 60s girl groups right I know we're going to talk about this later but that's why I think the franchise can so easily be revived now in 2020 because the actual time that it takes place is kind of meaningless and that concept of like Motown and is is I don't know how I think it's Barry Gordy is Motown. I don't know how he did it, but he created a timeless era too. You know, it's very much rooted in the sixties, but it lives on forever. I don't know anybody who isn't familiar with these songs that they sort of convert to be about God, you know, and it's so clever Mm -hmm. how they did that. I thought, because it's such a seamless transition to be able to make them sort of a, an ode to Jesus, but I can't like, for me as a kid, I was like, yeah, I would be in Harvey Keitel. Like that's a thing, blah, blah, But as an adult, I'm like, do I believe that they're lovers though? Like this feels awkward. <laughs> I know. I looked, I was curious about the age difference and there's a 15 year age difference, which okay. for Hollywood, that's right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> if they were reversed, Whoopi would be playing his mother. Right. <laughs> <laughs> So oh that gosh, was so believable, true. but, and I believed that the characters yeah. were, you know, involved romantically because they were getting something out of it, but like Whoopi and Harvey, <laughs> it's definitely an odd period. Zero chemistry, but don't you remember that Whoopi also did like a rom-com with, uh, didn't she do one with Ted Danson? Did they do a rom-com? <laughs> Oh my gosh! I have to look it up right now. (laughs) I'm like, I'll, I'll, I'll have chemistry with Dead Dancing. (laughs) He was so handsome. I mean, he still is, but you know what I mean. (laughs) It just feels, as an adult, it feels odd to see them, because you know he's got such a like Goodfellas, not Godfather, but Goodfellas vibe to him that I'm just like, what's the appeal? I'm confused, but also and people are going to hate me for this. And I I apologize. It also feels very Reno (laughs) nineties. Like this makes sense because you're not a high level enough in the crime world to live anywhere, but Reno. (laughs) And again, I think that plays to the quaintness of the concept because in our day and age where we have like such spectacular Vegas residencies of these really famous acts the idea that you would have to be mobbed up to get a job as like a low level Vegas lounge singer is just kind of adorable right (laughs) people go there I'm not even kidding people like we're gonna go to Reno for the weekend and I'm always like I don't understand why 
(laughs) (laughs) Made in America was her movie with Ted Danson. Oh, it looks like she he's wearing a cowboy hat, so it's clearly a mismatched couple thing. This is like Cheers era Ted Dan- Ted Danson. Yeah, well, just post Cheers because okay. it's well ninety three. Okay. Huh. Well, <laughs> trivia for you. It's just so interesting to me to see Whoopi Goldberg in sort of a situation where she's like this is going to sound terrible and I love Whoopi and this isn't, I hope I'm just going to go for it. I don't see her in like romantic roles or love interest roles because she's such a fiercely independent person and she's not really that soft in the way that you would need or would like to see somebody be soft in a relationship with somebody. Cause even in sister act, she's just like, still kind of rough around the edges and I and I understand that's the character because she's a she's a lounge singer but you get a little bit more she softens when she gets into the choir like with the with the women she's very mother hen about the about the gals and I I think she's stronger in stuff like that than trying to be somebody's girlfriend or wife Mm -hmm. do you think that was a thing in the 90s too though that if you were a woman and you were gonna headline a movie especially if you were a funny woman, it was almost always a rom-com. Yeah. Like that was the only space that they felt you could tell a story. And carry it too. Cause it did pretty well. If I remember correctly, it did pretty well, you know, decently at the box office. But now that you say that it's, and I think about, all the movies that we love from the 90s that there isn't really a whole lot of like serious Nicole Kidman did this movie called Malice and I think it came out in 92 as well and it's terrible (laughs) (laughs) so I'm wondering like and there's a couple of others that I can think of but that's the one that sticks out the most in my mind because people say Nicole Kidman hasn't made a bad film and I'm like have you seen Malice (laughs) because it's a bad film (laughs) yeah she's been in some stinkers I take I take some issue with that Thank you. I appreciate your support. (laughs) (laughs) We cannot, we cannot have this conversation about Nicole Kidman never having a bad film. That's a lie. (laughs) Political, (laughs) political doom set falls. Some of the other things though, that I thought was really interesting about the movie was the Pope coming to visit because he wanted (laughs) to see this magical choir. (laughs) Like I didn't grow up in the Catholic church, but I feel like, is that even a thing? Well, I hate to break this to Whoopi and the other nuns of St. Catherine's, but I think the Pope gets invites to see way better choirs (laughs) regularly. (laughs) And especially in San Francisco, they kept talking about how the neighborhood's really bad. We're in a bad neighborhood. This is a bad neighborhood. So of course I'm trying to think, well, which neighborhood are you in? It's 1992, maybe filmed in 91. So what neighborhood would be bad? The Tenderloin's always been deemed a bad neighborhood. So maybe they're in the Tenderloin. So then I'm like, I'm going to fall down the rabbit hole on the internet and find out, is there a St. Catherine's in San Francisco? What neighborhood is it in? And then I fell asleep on the couch because I'm old now. The rabbit hole I fell into was what was the reputation of the Catholic church in 93? Because I was like thinking about a movie where the Catholic church is such a character itself. 
and there's no like scandal. Um, and the like landmark settlement in Dallas was in 1997 when like priest abuse of minors really was in the forefront of the media. And then that Boston Globe story didn't come out until 2002. Oh, wow. So this is kind of a time capsule. Yeah. Wow. Like you could not make, well, I guess they are going to make a Sister Act 3, so we'll see. But I can't watch a movie about the Catholic Church which, without thinking of um, priest abuse and mm-hmm. pedophilia and all that controversy. That's a really good point, but you're not wrong. Like in the early nineties, there's this moment where it's still the Catholic church can be such a character in a way. And, you know, Catholicism shows up a lot in Hollywood in movies. I mean, that's a, for as much as people are kind of like anti certain types of religions, some of those more, um, I feel like the Catholic church shows up a lot in Hollywood. I could be mistaken, but it feels like sometimes when there's a movie that has religious people in it, religious characters, they're always Catholic, or at least that's what it feels like. Yeah. And do you think it's maybe because the costumes are so good? Like (laughs) that that series that Sally Field was in. Mm -hmm. The Flying Nun. (laughs) Like the habit, you know, the habits that the nuns wear, they're just so great. And then the robes that the priests wear. Yeah. I don't know. I think that pageantry of the Catholic Church goes really well with Hollywood. It is also instantly recognizable. Like in that sense you don't have to do extensive character work if you just have someone show up wearing a nun's habit or a priest's collar like you immediately know what their character is it's very clear there's so much and the churches too catholic churches are beautiful there's always stained glass there's always some Mm -hmm. sort of cathedral feel to it you know it's kind of crazy how Deborah brings up it's its own character and its own right and you're just and it's it is totally fits perfectly with Hollywood I never thought about that before wild so this movie came out in 92 so we could assume maybe they filmed in 91 because of the production but does it and we kind of already touched on a little bit but we can dive deeper now a little bit so the concept number one does the concept feel dated and then beyond that does this movie hold up you know all of these years later at this point it's going to be 30 years later would it still like even 10 years ago because we've changed so much in 10 years as a society but what do you all think about that Well, I do think that what Deborah brought up about the church scandal and it being hard to look past that, I, for me, at least I could look past it a little bit just because the show was so female centric, the movie was so female centric. So I think that helps it a little bit, um, kind of divorce it from its context and make it easier to watch. One thing I noticed is that like all the nuns are white. Yes. It's a very white place and sister mary clarence's whoopi goldberg's character like is obviously from a very different background and race is never touched on yeah yeah and there were a couple of moments where she it's like a very funny scene where she's meeting mother superior and she's like i always admired you people married to the big jc which i just thought was a hilarious line and then later in the at the end of the movie when they're looking for sister mary clarence sister mary patrick says has anyone seen a nun a carmelite nun 
And that was like the only reference. That was the identified piece of information. Oh my gosh. And it was so in that moment in the early 90s when we were all like so carefully taught about being colorblind. Yeah. But she couldn't even say, have you seen a black nun? Right. (laughs) That was the other thing to me that I feel felt like was like a, like a hole, right? So you're going to hide her in a nun, in a, in a convent, but she's the only black person there literally so how like it's not going to be hard for whatever harvey Keitel's character's name is to find her when he puts out this eight by ten right because he's Mm -hmm. like put out an eight by ten and say dead or alive because he's looking for her so if you're you know the pawn shop across the street and you see suddenly there's a black nun at this convent you might be like that's weird or maybe not I don't know and then to your point Katie you're absolutely right it totally touches speaks to that whole like colorblindness concept that we sort of saw in the 80s and 90s I was having a conversation with one of my cousin's kids she's in her early 20s and Gen Z is really struggling with that idea right of like we're everyone's equal we're all the same and now there's this idea of like that negates our differences okay yeah I get it but as a person who grew up with that, I'm here to tell you, they did not to sort of thinking that it was in my perception in California to level the playing field. So we didn't feel like we couldn't all achieve the same things. So when you're coming at it from that direction, it's not like the end of the world. Now we can see that's flawed and has been harmful and all of these things, but tying it back to sister act again, the idea of hiding her in a convent just seems so like ludicrous when the convent is clearly very pale. (laughs) I was so inspired by this that I looked up some numbers. Uh, Would you guys like to know? Absolutely. uh, How many African-American nuns there are in America as of, I think, 2018? Yeah. Fire away. 400. What? Out of, out of... 31,000. Wow. So it's uh, just a hair over 1%. I, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah, because then, because of course I looked more into it, if you look at the portion of the larger Catholic community that is African-American, it's super small as well. It's only like 5%. Okay. See, that's interesting to me because I don't know any, and granted, you know, I again, California experience being a half black human, none of the black folks I know are black or Catholic. <laughs> like, like the idea of like, like when we had to go to my grandma's, my mom was raised Catholic. So when we went to my grandma's funeral or my grandfather's funeral and we're in the Catholic church, like it's foreign to me, like for us to be there, not just because we weren't raised Catholic, but in the times that we'd visit them and we'd go to church with them, it was not my grandparents were Italian. So there was a lot of like, not black people, you know, you had people <laughs> of like, maybe from, um, you know, different types of background that weren't white, but also not black, but then also were white. I, this, I'm doing a very bad job at explaining this, but it was such a foreign thing to see a black person. Cause that opening scene in the movie where she's in Catholic school mm-hmm. and, and it was just kind of like, what? But then Sister Act 2, so Sister Act 2, all the kids, the majority of the kids in the choir are Black, but 
at that point, I'm thinking because I went to private private religious school and all the kids who got kicked out of the public schools because they did real bad things got sent to our school. <laughs> so it wasn't about getting a better education or having, you know, a religious education. It was about keeping your, your you got kicked out of everything school in town. So now you're stuck with the private religious schools. <laughs> so it never really occurred to me until last night to be like, this is weird. She's the only black person here. Why? Is it just a total misconception on my part? Or was there ever a blip of time where if you live somewhere with like a poor public school system that like the private religious education would be like the, the better option? I don't think it's a misconception because I feel like other communities, so the, so the Catholic school in our area, they do kind of um, offer scholarships and stuff to athletically inclined students who might be in lower funded neighborhoods for education. And it makes a big difference. Like we have had a couple of people from those schools go on to have not necessarily full-blown professional careers, but um, you know, they got to college because of it for Mm -hmm. academic scholarship. So it's, I don't think it's a misconception. I think it just depends on where you are. Like the private religious school I went to wasn't Catholic. So I think that's why we got the bad kids. Cause it was like, we don't want them to have the structure of a Catholic school, but we still want them to like be reminded that they're going to hell. (laughs) (laughs) Cause I don't think some of these people can handle it. You know, cause it's like, a very structured, and I, I don't know about now, but in the nineties, when we were visiting my grandparents, it was a very structured religious ceremony. And since we didn't grow up in that, of course, I'm like the most irritating child during service. Cause it's four hours long with communion and there's mm-hmm. incense and I'm, you know, uh, sensor I'm sensitive and sensory sensitive. So it's just like, this is not a good thing to take me to. there's lots of like when do I stand when do I sit what do I say there's there are a lot of rules yes it was interesting though because and not to get super dark but we're going there a little bit after 9-11 so my mom left the catholic church in adulthood and so we grew up in a non-denominational uh christian church and 9-11 happens and my mom's just like we're all feeling it right everyone everywhere is feeling it And so she goes to our church and they had broken out in small groups and she was, and they, nobody knew how to lead the group in comfort. And my mother's a social worker and slash therapist. So she's like not finding comfort when she needs comfort. Cause what does this all mean? Right. She goes to the Catholic church and the structure of it all, because she grew up in that structure was really comforting to her. Mm -hmm. And I thought that's really, that to me is still a fascinating story because when we're in distress, what brings you comfort? She left the Catholic church prior to that. It's been, it had been like 20 plus years that she was a practicing Catholic. So I, I, it's fascinating how that structure, sometimes people, even if they've left it in time of turmoil can crave it for comfort. Rituals are powerful. That's Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. Yeah, that's it. Thank you, Deborah. I appreciate you being able to sum that up better than I could. Three words, check. (laughs) So after the release of the original film, which was in 1992, in 1993, we get the sequel, Sister Act 2, Back in the Habit. Whoopi Goldberg comes back as Dolores Van Cartier. 
the friends she made in the first sister act are now teaching at this rundown school slated for closure. They tap her to teach the music kids. She dis- or the music class. She discovers that these kids have some sort of musical talent. And she also realizes that the school used to be quite the competitor in the music competition scene. They have ribbons and statues and all kinds of things. So she quickly turns these ragtag kids into a choir. Lauren Hill's in this movie, Jennifer Love Hewitt's in this movie, and there's tons of other huge names as well. But I feel like in 1993, those two names are very significant. So be, besides that, Sister Act was also adapted for a for stage and made its Broadway debut in October of 2006. So now we know Sister Act is underway. Sister Act 3 is happening. So what do we want to see in Sister Act 3? Okay, I thought about this maybe too much. (laughs) (laughs) I support you. I would love to see a group of nuns go rogue, form a performing choir, get super famous, get invited to Rome. But their secret goal is to like expose all of the Vatican's secrets while they're there so it's like a dan brown sister act mashup yes choral music oh yeah that's what i want to see i like it (laughs) i don't know if i can top that (laughs) that's so good because I was thinking about it, it's like, what are they going to do for the third one? I'm so confused because you kind of did the two obvious things already. Katie, what do you think? I cannot top that for a plot, but I just think this is an ideal time for a third Sister Act movie. In our divided political climate, what is going to bring America together better <laughs> than a new Sister Act movie? I mean, who on the left doesn't love Whoopi? Mm -hmm. And who on the right doesn't love religion? It's like perfect synergy. Oh, that's an excellent point. (laughs) And nuns are not controversial in the way that priests are. Well, because they're a dying breed. Right. Right. My favorite nuns will always be in the sound of music. (laughs) (laughs) So do we, who, who, besides Whoopi, who in the original cast, do we want to see come back? Because Maggie Smith is like 80... Seven, but she's still working. Yeah, some of those elderly nuns are probably not still with us. Like, yeah, uh, I love the deaf one who plays the piano. Turn your back on. on. (laughs) That was the best. The actress that played Sister Mary Lazarus actually passed away in '95, so this was one of the last things that she did. And for those of you who may find her face familiar, her face and voice familiar, but aren't sure if you've seen it, she's in White Christmas. She plays the nosy housekeeper who like, you know, she's like in up in everyone's business, but behind the scenes, (laughs) busy bodies anonymous and steams open (laughs) your letters and stuff, which I love her in that role, but I didn't realize she died in 95. Yeah. But Kathy Najimi is still around and you know I want to see her in it. Yes, mm-hmm. I love her. She's so funny. And for listeners who may not be familiar, which I don't know what rock you live under, um, <laughs> she's she's in Hocus Pocus and then she's she's done a ton of stuff. The most recent thing that you can see her in is she's a guest spot on Younger. All seven seasons are available on Hulu. 
Um, and she does such a great job as playing Lauren's mom. She's so much fun. She's Lauren's like very Jewish mother, but like a modern Jewish mother. <laughs> yeah. I Super love. supportive of whatever yeah. her daughter gets up to. It's really yep. cute. It's cute. They're cute. And they totally look like they could be mother and daughter. Like it was really, I was like, oh, whoever did the casting, you guys are brilliant. This looks like <laughs> she could be her kid. So Maggie Smith could potentially come back. I think. I read somewhere that Kathy is is slated to come back. Okay, good, good. Nice. But other than and then the one that played the quiet, um, scared, like timid pre nun because she's not in the full habit. I don't know what they call it, but it's referred to. So novice. She's novice. a novice. Thank you. <laughs> My own ignorance is showing. I think she's coming back. But I think it'd be cool if they also brought in some of the people from Sister Act 2, some of the kids. Because now they're all grown. They're all probably in their 50s now. Oh, my gosh. Lauren, hell, please. (laughs) That would be a coup. Yes. (laughs) I'd love it if Lauren Hill came back. I loved her in Sister Act 2 so much. Were you a choir kid growing up? Yeah. There was it's funny because in sister act two, when they're like, this is a bird course. Cause it's easy and you can fly through it or whatever. And I was like, mm. my cousin actually sent me a clip of that scene yesterday because we are, we love sister act so much and the sequel too. And we watch them all the time and our children don't appreciate it as much. So we're kind of like, how did we fail? <laughs> this movie is so important to us. How did we fail our children this way? But I, re- I remember when I she sent me that clip and they said that line and I was like yeah it's kind of why I chose to be in choir too because all you just stand there and move your mouth and it looks like you're singing (laughs) so there's this wonderful scene at the beginning of sister act two where the nuns go and get Dolores from where she's performing and I don't know if she's still in Reno or if it's in Vegas in my childhood head it was Vegas that yeah she was she's in. upgraded okay so she's doing this whole show that like dramatizes her arc as like a, a fake nun hiding out so she's got this habit that's all in sequins and like she lots of quick changes it's a really fun opening way for them to reintroduce this character but in my head re-watching the original sister act yesterday to prepare for this I thought that came at the end of the movie like to show us how she had capitalized on her time so I was like sitting like I was watching a Marvel movie I watched the credits all the way to the end I'm like is this like a post credit sequence that I'm remembering because I want to see the glittery habit and it just didn't happen (laughs) that's so funny I wonder if that scene is what inspired the uh, concept for the Broadway play Oh, probably. That early 2000s time, they were like making Broadway musicals out of every early 90s children's movie. Like you had big and dirty Mm -hmm. dancing and they all got their own musicals. So I feel like it was only a matter of time. But when you look at the list, Sister Act at least is tangentially music related. It makes a little bit more sense. Right. Yeah, I was watching a, a 20 year anniversary reunion Zoom thing with the cast of Legally Blonde. And Reese Witherspoon had said, because, you know, that of course was adapted into Broadway musical too. And Reese Witherspoon had said the only music, there was lots of musical numbers in the movie that got cut. And the only one that was left in was the bend and snap scene. And so that was sort of 
what helped inspire the the play but or the musical and it wasn't hard to adapt because they had had all these musical scenes that didn't make the movie thought can we get a re-release of that then because I'm curious how you fit musical numbers in this movie about (laughs) you like I'm so confused how that works Although I so want to see Jennifer Coolidge, that's her name, right? The one yeah. that plays the manicurist. Yeah. I want to see her in this movie now. <laughs> <laughs> She's amazing. I just rewatched uh, the Cinderella story because I was like, I need an easy, quiet, calm, rom-com, high school feel that doesn't feel raunchy. <laughs> <laughs> And she's in it and I love her. She's so good. She's so good as a bad person, but then she's so good in like legally blonde. You're just like, Hollywood do better by her. Yeah. I think she's just been in something that's gotten like crazy good press. She's having a moment. She's in oh, one of those prestige shows that's out right now. And because I have no time to watch prestige shows, I don't know which one, but I think she is having that moment. <laughs> good. She deserves it. She's so talented. There's a scene in a Cinderella story where she's like, where are your trophies to the twin girls who played the stepsisters? And because they're dressed as Siamese cats because it's a Halloween costume party and um, or a costume party. I don't think it was Halloween. I think it was like homecoming or something. And she's like, she, winners get prizes. And she's like, they're like, we didn't win. Somebody else won, blah, blah. I am very disappointed in you, but you can't tell because I just got Botox done. <laughs> It's <laughs> just like frozen in a way that looks like she's happy. <laughs> okay, so most underrated performance of hers. It's in this ridiculous movie called Austin Land. Have you seen it? Yes, <laughs> I own that movie. Why is your skin so beautiful? Oh, it's because I stick my face in the fire every night. <laughs> I don't know how this became a Jennifer Coolidge fan show, but I am here for it. <laughs> Yes, yes, because she's amazing. <laughs> so good. Oh, man. So maybe we can bring her into Sister Act 3. I love that. And that's a great segue into who do we want to see in Sister Act 3. She would be so much fun. One of the things we do on our podcast is like wishful casting. So oh, uh-huh. this is our, I feel like this is our wheelhouse. <laughs> so I want to see Jonathan Groff as a priest in Sister Act 3. I think that would be really good. Um, I also want to see in the nun chorus, Michaela Cole from I May Destroy You. And then um, Yvonne Orji, who plays Molly on Insecure. I have no idea if they can sing or not. It matters. They can be dubbed. Yeah. That's um, my wishful casting for Sister Act 3. Yeah. The gal from I May Destroy You just got tapped to be part of the Marvel Cinematic Universe. It was announced a uh, couple. Awesome. Yeah, it was announced. Oh, I just broke my eyes rolling them so hard. I mean, I'm happy for her success, but I'm just, <laughs> I'm done with the Marvel Cinematic Universe. <laughs> there was all of these tributes in the last, you know, during, in the month uh, earlier in July about 10 years playing this character. So like Sebastian Sand did a thing about 10 years playing Bucky and he's clearly continuing to play Bucky. And then like, you know, tributes about Chris Evans playing America's ass. And then like um, a bunch of people who've been around forever, like Chris, um, Tom Hiddleston, they're all like, oh, these characters helped make our careers, blah, blah, blah. And 
when they talked about how young they were when they started playing these characters and now I'm just like like Tom Hiddleston was like I turned 40 shooting Loki the TV series (laughs) and I was like we can't be there we're not there yet we can't be there we're there like this hurts stop talking Tom Hiddleston I do. I would, I think it would be fun to see Maggie Smith come back. I don't, I know she's still acting, but in the last Downton Abbey movie, um, or the only one so far, I think there's a second one coming. She made, there, there was a scene between her and Mary where she was like, I'm not well, and this is blah. So that made me think, okay, they're not bringing her back for that franchise. So is she winding down her career? Cause she's 87 or is she just wanting to move into other things? But then I thought, It'd be really fun to see, like, I know Zendaya is really huge right now and everyone loves Zendaya, but I think that would be a fun mix up too, because she's just got such range that I think she, and she's really good comedically. A lot of people, I think, forget that she does, you know, well, we didn't forget she started on Disney, but a lot of people who met her later in her career don't know that she was really funny on that, whatever that dance show was called. I forget what it was called. So it'd be fun to see her in something a little bit more quirky because she has done a lot of serious roles lately. And then men-wise, if they should bring men in supporting roles, I struggled with that one a little bit because there's so many amazing male actors right now who just have so, that do have a lot of range that I, I, I couldn't really pick somebody younger. Everyone I kept thinking was like, you know, super famous in the 90s it's like get out of the 90s Julia bring somebody current <laughs> and I couldn't do it well Zendaya was also in uh The Greatest Showman so oh, she's got musical right. chops as well oh yeah. yeah I totally forgot about that and speaking of that movie I was just thinking that I could really stand a good Zac Efron musical moment as well so maybe he and Jonathan Graff can be like the cool hippie young priest yes <laughs> Or at least like uh, Zach Efron could be like the teacher if they are out of school. I mean, mm-hmm. I, or something, or he's the guy that comes in off the street who needs, I don't know. If there's a nun who's like toying with leaving because of Zach Efron, I would leave the convent for Zach Efron. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so the name I was searching for was Renee Elise Goldsberry from Hamilton. I think oh, she yeah. can sing. She would make a great choir addition. She's been doing a lot of tea. TV work here and there. So I think she'd make a good sister act addition. Yeah. Oh, that would be great. I'm excited for the third one because it's not, I'm thinking that they'll tap into nostalgia, but not in a way that it feels like they can't keep it current for a younger audience. You know how people say if they made Back to the Future today and it was the same time jump uh, that Marty would be going back to the 90s? Ouch. <laughs> I wonder if like the music they could use for Sister Act 3 to like reinvigorate the choir would be like classic 90s hits. <laughs> to- throwback use Lauren Hill. Right? <laughs> like they're doing they're doing Lauren, uh, the Fuji's reboot of um Killing Me Softly instead of the original <laughs> original. Oh my gosh. I always joke because I used to work in um like a care home for older adults and whenever they had a party they would play you know in a lot there was a dementia side and so they'd always play music from their youth and it was you know big bopper and those types of things so I went one day I told one of the um caregivers I was like can you imagine when we're in a care home because it's gonna be like DMX and like (laughs) 
all of these other like super heavy 90s rap groups that we were like <laughs> dancing and in, in, like the early 2000s it's gonna be like Justin Timberlake and like, all these people and there's gonna be a bunch of eight-year-olds trying to twerk it's gonna be great <laughs> hold on oh. let me get my walker uh-huh. <laughs> I mean honestly holding on to a walker would probably improve my chances of being able to twerk even now <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate you guys taking the time to be on the show today. Do you want to remind everybody where they can find you if they want to keep up with you on the internets? We are at myscreentime2.com. You can find us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. You can Gmail us if you want um, and subscribe wherever you get podcasts to it's mine my screen time too this was a lot of fun please you know come back anytime you want especially if you want to talk about stuff that isn't children tv or movies (laughs) and get down and dirty on some hbo as (laughs) always you can find us on instagram pop culture makes me jealous thank you again to katie and deborah for stopping by thanks for tuning in y'all thanks so much thank you so much this was really fun